This podcast is supported by JBS International Incorporated through a grant award from the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, with 0% finance with non-governmental sources. The contents are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement, by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. For more information, please visit hrsa.gov. Welcome in to another episode of Rural Roads, the hardcore podcast, where we discuss the stories, individuals, and everything else in the rural community's opioid response program. I'm your host, Tim Raybolt with JBS International. Before we get into it, just a quick reminder on some of the ways you could stay connected and informed of all the latest hardcore information, updates, resources, and more. As always, you can visit the hardcore TA portal, check out the new modules on the LMS, and keep up with the monthly newsletter and weekly roundup emails. You can also follow us on social media by liking RCORTA News on Facebook and following RCORTA on both Twitter and Instagram. For today's episode, we don't have an outside guest. Instead, I'm going to talk about young people in recovery and weave in parts of my own story. We'll cover what it's like, why they should be more involved, and strategies for engagement with that population in general. For some context, I've been in recovery for over 12 years now, since my senior year of high school in Wilmington, Delaware. I grew up and truly had everything I could have wanted, but trauma comes from a lot of different places. I developed a pretty significant substance use disorder early on in high school. I was referred to treatment, completed detox, and a partial hospitalization program all during my spring break of my senior year, just how I imagined it. I did intensive outpatient for the rest of the school year and then aftercare over the summer before moving down to Washington, D.C. for college. Let me say this, in, in the absence of everything tied to treatment and recovery, just the the very nature of being young is difficult. There's there's so much pressure. There's pressure to fit in, to be an adult, to be cool, to be smart, but not too smart. And then you add in environmental factors and other variables. In my community, it was about what your parents did for work, who they were, how much money your family had, how much money you had where you got into school, where you were going to school, it just went on and on. That didn't change when I got to college. In fact, it felt like even more pressure. This identity pressure just multiplied when I accepted I needed to also change my whole life in order to sustain recovery. New habits, new phone number, new ways of thinking, new coping skills, different friend group. Did I even have friends? You were just questioning everything, building trust back, dealing with shame and grief, and a variety of other pieces. By the way, go to school every day and start figuring out what job you're going to have so you can live independently and be financially sustainable. This, folks, is just a few of the pieces that comprise this unique challenge in supporting young people in recovery. Our brains aren't even fully developed until 25, but in the years prior, we're tasked with life-altering decisions, including those that have these seemingly major negative impacts on any semblance of social capital. In August of 2011, I moved into my dorm at the George Washington University. I chose to live on the Mount Vernon campus because it was quiet, it was secluded, and I got my own bedroom. I started to go to classes, go to recovery meetings, and settle into this new life schedule. And at the same time, I met another guy in the dorm. His name was Javi. And we became really close, and he was interested in my story and recovery and in all that. And uh, early fall, it was October 10th. We went to a meeting together, and I picked up my six-month key tag, and he picked up his 30-day key tag. And honestly, I still get goosebumps 
walking back to the dorm and folks in our little hub there knew where we were and like what that day was. And, you know, we like celebrated and yeah, I just can't tell you the impact it had on being on that journey with someone else. Though I had been connecting with other individuals in recovery, nothing really came close to that bond. A month or so later, Javi starts to really struggle with some serious mental health challenges, and the university just it didn't have the services in place for him, and he was forced to drop out and move home to Puerto Rico. And that group I talked about, our group of friends, was just absolutely devastated. When he left that day, I cried for him, for us, out of grief. The identity component was once again shattered. I spiraled and I reached the bottom in January of 2012, unlike any place I had been. And this was in in recovery, not using substances or alcohol. And I really didn't think I could get to a place like that, especially sober, like I was mentioning. But a month later, February 2012, a really special thing happened. The staff member at the university, who I became really close with after Javi's departure, gathered different students at alumni in recovery for the first time. And GW Students for Recovery was born out of that. And it was my first experience with what's called collegiate recovery. And that basically just refers to recovery support services on college campuses. There's similar education-based services, including recovery high schools and alternative peer groups. With recovery high schools, sometimes they're their own actual school of just students in recovery. Sometimes it's embedded into a larger kind of system. But they all support young people in recovery much like a recovery community organization does for community members in general. We started that group as February 2012. Over the years, our student organization grew into a collegiate recovery program, or CRP. There's nearly 200 CRPs throughout the country, some even international. Some of the more prominent programs are Texas Tech, Kennesaw State University, Rutgers, Augsburg University, among some others. Collegiate recovery saved my life. It built that identity up and gave me a sense of connection, confidence, support, and purpose I was really unable to find elsewhere in the typical college experience. We had some students that were really involved in kind of the leadership of the group, and we were relentless in this pursuit of the program getting adequate support. We raised nearly $100,000. We were featured all over the city and mainstream media got allocated university space in this townhouse that we called the Serenity Shack. We had nearly 40 students at one point, hosted sober watch parties, recovery meetings, went on field trips. It created this recovery college experience within the larger college experience that protected parts of ourselves that were in need of that compassion and connection. In the summer of 2014, I found out there were these other colleges offering services because I really just thought it was us. I didn't think about other schools outside that kind of D.C. area. And I found out about the National Collegiate Recovery Conference. Flew there with another staff member from GW, and I was just absolutely blown away. Because up until that point, I was going to work in professional sports. Heart was set on it. I interned for the Washington Wizards, the Nationals, a national nonprofit that worked with athletes, worked on campus with athletics, and I ran the Sports Business Association out of our, another student org out of the business school. And I came back from that conference. I looked ahead to my senior year and literally I I had an absolute breakdown. And it was this decision crisis and ultimately decided I wanted to dedicate everything I had to collegiate recovery. So I did. 
I needed more time at GW to see the program to fruition, so I applied and eventually enrolled in graduate school to start right after graduation that spring. Got an internship in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, working for the recovery branch in the Office of Demand Reduction. The head of ONDCP at that time was Michael Botticelli, who we featured on episode 20 of Rural Roads. In May of 2015, I was set to graduate from the business school, and the afternoon of my actual graduation where I'd received my diploma, I decided to skip it. Instead, I went to this local roundtable event where Michael is going to be on a panel alongside some other folks from D.C., including Tom Coderre, who was our RSV keynote speaker. I can't really explain why, but I remember calling my parents and just saying, like, I got to do this. It just felt right at the time. I still attended commencement that weekend, and then I started that internship, and the summer was just so fulfilling to be spending time in the professional realm doing this work that I discovered was like the dream job. And I worked as many hours as I could on DCP, and they trusted me with a lot, particularly around recovery month. I wrap up the internship in December, and almost immediately I get asked to lunch by the woman who coordinated that roundtable event back in May. Turns out she's friends with Michael and offers me this dream job to come do recovery work for a firm that she worked at. And I take the job and I continue on with grad school and then graduate in, in May of 2017. And just skipping forward on some of this stuff, the following summer I became the executive director of the Association of Recovery and Higher Education the organization that hosted that conference I attended four summers prior. And then January 2021, six years after finishing that internship with ONDCP, I get offered a, a presidential appointment to go back to that same office. I didn't elect to take that position, but it was still one of the most amazing offers or gifts to be given an opportunity like that. That same summer, I, I left DREGE and joined JBS where I am today. And I say all that because the power of peers, it's real. The power of mentorship is, is real. Yeah, I, I had a lot of privilege and people had my back during all that. I was in the right place at the right time a lot of times. At the same time, you'll look back in March of 2011. I'm in detox during spring break or January 2012. Totally lost the will to live and go onwards, but recovery went out. And the foundation of all of it was peer support receiving services that met me where I was at, given the unique accommodations I needed as a young person. Young people are pretty amazing, and young people in recovery in particular deserve a lot of respect. Get them involved, listen to them, and take that extra step. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.